It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on our path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Lodestar URY, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenue streams, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of The Revenue Maze. Today, I have an amazing guest. I'm so excited about this one. The list, I have to read the list of what this guy has accomplished. So he has, read, he has led mission-critical growth initiatives, strategic marketing, and digital initiatives for a diverse group of global clients. And I need you to wait for it. Listen to this list, including... Siemens, MasterCard, Citibank, Oxygen, Spiger Dermatology, Thomson Reuters, Caremark, CoStar Group, Northwest Venture Partners, Fannie Mae, Tesco, and yes, wait for it, drumroll, the United Nations. Of course, of course, why not? I mean, we're all being humbled today, right? So with that, um, I, I'm just so excited because he started his own company in uh, 2006, I believe. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. And um, it is movingminds.io. And it is to bring Fortune 500 experience to smaller companies. Super excited to meet and talk with Lou Hughes today. Lou, Thank welcome. You. Thank you, Valerie. I appreciate the invitation. This is uh, terrific. <laughs> well, it is just, I feel honored. Those are such great companies. And so I, you know, as I thought about you coming on, I want to hear, and so do the guests, we want to hear all about you. But first, we always start this show with what is one thing that the listeners can do to get out of the revenue maze? You know, I think you, I think the biggest issue that I see is, uh, well, there's multiple issues, right? But you know, you don't know what you don't know, and and as a small business, a new venture, you've got so many different things on your plate, and it's really important. The limiting factor are people and expertise, in particular disciplines. So I think, you know, in our business, finding great talent, finding the right people for the right roles is really critical in driving success and making clients happy and being able to uh, to grow the companies that we work with. So, you know, you kind of don't know what you don't know. And so until you really have an opportunity to, to work with a consultant or um, an expert in a particular field or discipline, there's so many things that you can do, particularly in marketing, that are fundamental and, and blocking and tackling um, that create a tremendous ROI. So, and sometimes as, as a new business owner or a new CEO or a new venture, you know, you may know the things you need to focus on, but you may not have time to do those things. But oftentimes you really don't know some of the things that uh, would provide huge opportunities and upside. So maybe that's my, my tip for the day. The tip for the day. Well, I have to totally unpack that because you don't know what you don't know is a lot, right? I mean, I think about, oh my goodness, you know, I was interviewing, I was doing a sales audit this morning for just discussing the potential of doing a sales audit this morning. And one of the statements that was said was literally, 
can you tell me what I don't know? <laughs> you know? And it's like, cause I think I know, but I don't know. And I, you know, I think that that's where we moved into the whole realm of the consensus by in decision-making, you know, cause I tout, I tout the challenger model all the time. They probably should pay me, but you know, they don't, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, it's, it's, it takes like, what are they up to? Like 12 point something decision makers to make a decision in corporate America. And so many of the small businesses, they don't have the benefit of 12.5 decision makers to help them figure out what they don't know. Right. <laughs> so I, I'd love to hear a little more about how they could go about that. So well, it's interesting, you know, when I say you, what, you know, you don't know what you don't know, it's interesting. I had a CEO of a hospital that we worked with say that in a meeting and we were presenting a strategy to them, a very comprehensive marketing strategy. And he said that, and it was really kind of the first time he ever, you know, he sort of said something like that. The first time I had ever heard that. And it kind of took a while to sink in, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what exactly do you mean by that? And, and as I have matured and grown, and worked with clients and running your own business, of course, you, there are a lot of things you don't know, right? Until <laughs> you make that mistake or, but I think most great leaders have, you know, a gut feeling, right? They kind of know, like, is this salesperson delivering? Are they performing at a high level? Maybe this one is, maybe that one isn't, you know, I know that maybe the quality of our execution, maybe not there, you know, so I think most great leaders know that and that's what makes them great leaders. But um, in terms of, you know, I'll give you a great example. I worked for, um, in 2006, right before I came uh, to Moving Minds and started our company, I took over an e-commerce uh, operation for a company that was a billion dollars, served government, uh, sold technology to government. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm taking this job. It's going to be easy. Their interface is terrible. Their search engine is awful. Their product representation is terrible. You, know, you just think about Amazon sort of, okay, we can fix this. This is a front end issue. And so I got there and you know, did due diligence and spent 30 days uh, interviewing the whole company and talking about things. And, and I was speaking to the CMO at the time because I was the director of e-business. And he said, he said, gosh, you know, we're, uh, we're not driving revenue in the way that we want to. And he said, well, you know, what, what's the supply chain look like? And I, I said, supply chain? You know, I said, I'm not responsible for the supply chain. That's their problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after looking at it, you know, it, it, and I hadn't really thought about it. it dawned on me, like I owned the whole thing from, from the you know, initial visit to the execution and the delivery of that product, but I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. And so I, you got to own it. So I realized that it took 32 days for us to initiate an order get that order processed. And this is 2006. But even at that point, you know, Amazon was still delivering within a day or two. So and we collapsed that time to two days. So when I say wow. you don't know what you don't know, you know, I walked in not knowing what I didn't know and, and then figuring out, you know, solutions to the challenges that are unforeseen, I think obviously is a critical um, differentiator in, in who makes it and who doesn't. You know, that's that's fascinating to me because little like alarm bells or not alarm bells, aha moments are happening just as you're saying that because you also executed. You didn't just go, well, I just don't know, so I'm not going to do it, right? <laughs> you actually 
you actually went in, you figured it out and cut the day down and cut it down to two days. And you'd be shocked and amazed at how many, well, it's just this slow moving machine. I'm sorry, we can't do that. Or someone even say, well, Amazon's got us beat. <laughs> why are well, we even trying right well, we're at the time you know we were competing with cdw so i mean oh, they, yeah. they were you know they're as equally as good as amazon but we took that business in a span of 18 months once we figured out like we own the supply chain we actually looked at different solutions we thought about bypassing our existing supply chain through a, a relationship with a third party that could drop ship faster and so forth so we really sort of um looked at the full array of options but we took that business from 10 million dollars in 2004 and when we left it was a 300 million dollar portion of the business right so we shifted oh. a lot of the business from traditional orders to to internet orders um you know today that's not as uh, particularly uh, interesting but for companies that have not made the transition or fully digitized or created the digitalization of their services um you know those are the challenges that that they face today but you got to figure things out. You got to roll up your sleeves and you need people to have the same qualities. I think that's really important. You know, everybody lives in kind of a silo in larger corporations and there's so many interdependencies between them. You need all of them to work together to be successful. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something that you're kind of doing right now with, um, with your moving minds business, because, uh, there's so many silos and they're not working well together. And in a small business, that's a lot of waste if it's not working well together. Right. Um, yeah. Waste I, through time, waste through period, duplicated efforts, whatever. I mean, there's tons of ways. Tell us a little more about that. Well, I think, you know, there are multiple observations that we have when we work with clients and I'm not talking about the care marks and the oxygens of the world's, although they make the same rookie mistakes. Mm -hmm. new ventures make and and they're just sort of they have the uh the cushion to be able to make mistakes without falling flat on their face now companies yeah. like netflix who lose uh, a huge number of subscribers in a quarter have dire consequences but, <laughs> yes, they but do. <laughs> you can kind of live you know you can kind of live in a bureaucracy without a lot of accountability the larger the company is when you're you know your own your own venture or a small series a or series b there's not a lot of places to hide, right? So, so generally, you know, we we see a few things. One is um, persistence and consistency. So, um, generally, you know, small ventures they test and experiment with things, and usually, when you're experimenting, um, you're you're sort of putting um, all of your chips in one basket, right? So. In, in the case of a particular client, they might do a direct mail uh, release. They may do some print ads. They may do some dabble in, in digital. And they either give up too soon uh, or, you know, now their strategy may be the wrong one, um, but uh, they maybe give up too soon and you have to be persistent, right? You have to sort of um, not cut bait. You have to, but it, as long as you're doing the right things, you know, you need to stay to it. And that's true of your identity, your brand identity, right? So, you know, people's slogans change, their branding changes. You got to kind of find the right mix and then be consistent with it. The other thing is, I don't think people realize how expensive uh, sales and marketing is as a percentage. No, they don't. <laughs> they, they think, but that's small businesses. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons cash flow 
issues happen, right? And they, what is it, 82 or 84%? I quote it all the time that they fail because of cash flow, but it's cash flow due to lack of good brand exposure, pushing the product, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, well, we, yeah. you know, we've been guilty of this too. When talking about the revenue maze, um, you know, you got to always build pipeline, right? It's a continuous process. And, you know, even our own business, as I sort of self-assess, I mean, we've, we've generated most of our business because of the great work we do with our clients. And then we get referred and sort of, you can get kind of fat and happy, you know, you don't have to develop a, a really robust sales pipeline. And that has um, unfortunately caused, you know, us the inability to grow at a rate that, you know, some other firms that are on a, a peers of ours that have grown, but we've also made choices in that regard. But, you know, being neglectful of building a pipeline consistently is, you know, obviously a, a detriment because that drives cash flow. And depending on your churn and, and relationships, now our relationships are, you know, anywhere from five to eight years generally. So, yeah. you know, we, we've been, we've had a luxury, but I think neglecting the pipeline is at your own peril, you know, and so you need great salespeople. You need to be out there. You need to support your salespeople. Um, oftentimes sales and marketing don't talk to each other, don't know what each other's doing. Um, that's pretty common. So if you look at new ventures um, and so I think, you know, all types of opportunities to Im improve what, what folks are doing, but um, you know, the other, the other options are in terms of marketing is, you know, we have, we had a client in New York City that was a roll-up of dermatology clinics, and they had made eight acquisitions. So let's just say they they bought a dermatology clinic with, I don't know, $10 million in revenue, right, at a 10x multiple. So you oh, wow. look at what the, what the return on that investment is from a VC or a private equity company, and you're talking about, like, you got to hit, like, 20 to 40% growth targets. Yeah. And so we sat down with them, and we said, okay, well, how can we grow 20 to 40%, right? Um, and we said, all right, well, let's start with your marketing budget. You're you know, a $63 million company on an aggregate basis. And I said, how much do you spend in marketing? And, you know, again, all of your practices are in New York City. And they said, well, it's $400,000. And I said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I love it. The laugh I is, isn't that great? I mean, I, I didn't laugh. I sort of had sweat coming down my face. I'm thinking, you guys have bought these companies for a hundred million plus dollars and you're going to spend $400,000 to grow the company. So, and this is a pretty sophisticated crowd, right? So, yeah. um, you know, people don't really realize like, you know, 200,000 of that is, is just personnel to execute marketing. And then generally, you know, 50, 50 sort of split in terms of investments. Now that's for marketing, not including sales and yeah. but you know, and you got to be realistic, right? So, you know, in healthcare, you know, generally what you see is 1.5% of revenue. In, in technology, you see a much more aggressive growth strategy and less concerned about profitability and more about customer acquisition. So that's in the neighborhood of 20 plus up. Salesforce spends up, up to 45% of sales and revenue, um, sales and marketing. Yeah in uh, of revenue. And so, and then you've got manufacturing, but on average, it's about, should be about eight to 9% um, between sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue. So I think that's, we do a lot of education with executives and clients and it's not always easy um, because they don't really understand the level of um, investment that's required to, to do it the right way. And so they scrimp and they cobble things together 
and they do something here and they do something there and they then they wonder why the cumulative investment hasn't made a dent in the growth of the business and so the the point is is that you you haven't applied the resources now does that mean you can't be successful with a small budget no not at all i mean there are ways to go to market and be successful you know i think the other lesson is that people get stretched too thin so, you know, oftentimes, you know, you don't have to have a Facebook and a Twitter and a LinkedIn and a this yeah, and that. You're right. Just focus on one. Focus on the one where your customers are and do that really well. And just don't even don't even set up Twitter if you can't manage it. And, and we're guilty of this ourselves because we're running those programs for our clients. We neglect it for ourselves. Yes, you probably do. <laughs> we do. It's like the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Um, yeah. Just true of a lot of agencies. You know, people ask for a portfolio, and I'm like, uh, "We're too busy to make a portfolio." What are you talking yeah, about? exactly. It's so hard. It is so, so hard. <laughs> but you know, those are the types of things um, that I think are you know the, the the observations that I've learned, and and then of course that's what makes a CMO, a Chief Marketing Officer of EPM Marketing. That's why they only have 23 months in tenure uh, because I think there's an outsized expectation for for what marketing can deliver. I think oftentimes they get into the role and there's a misperception of what they're supposed to be doing and, and the growth rate versus what the resources are that they've been given. And, and that causes a lot of churn. It's an endangered species being a CMO these days. Yeah, I you know, it's it's similar in the CRO CSO space to yeah. an extent. Um typically what happens is I grow a company and they think they see it as an expense that's not returning anything. And that's that's the challenge changing changing perception. Part of part of the reason I talk about small businesses so much and their failure and why they fail isn't to tout what I'm doing so much, it's it's to say, be smart about what you're doing and know that that's probably going to be one of your biggest investments. You can fix. I love all my operations friends, so don't get mad at me. <laughs> you can fix operations, but if you have no sales coming through the door, you know, and and they'll spend abundance on operations. Yet, I in this job market, I several of the companies I'm working for right now. It's just they try to bootstrap and I can't get the top talent needed to grow it at their multiplier that they need. Right. And and so it really depends on where they want to go, first of all, um, when I'm talking to them, you know, and, and you've already discussed that you talked about their multiplier and you're going to spend four hundred thousand. Right. And. And, and it depends on which industry you are correct in manufacturing. You might be able to do that six to 8% of revenue. Um, but in, in tech space, when it's all people selling ideas, basically, because it's very intangible sometimes in the, especially in the SaaS and uh, space where it's just, it's, you know, you're not going in and buying a pair of shoes, right? Um, at the end of the day, it could be high. It could be quite high because they are, your force that is bringing in all of that. And so it's hard to get sometimes CEOs to not see marketing as an expense. I say the same thing about PR, right? And I get challenged, how much PR do you, you know, I've turned people away and said, no, you really right now need PR. 
because you have no brand, nothing out there that right. anybody can know who you are. And um, they're like, well, that's just, that's so expensive. And I'm like, yeah. So throw a sales team at it who you're unknown and they're just banging their head up against the wall. I always call out Jeb Blount to, he should probably pay me, but he doesn't even know who I am. Um, anyways, you know, 20 to 50 uh, touch points for familiarity. <laughs> You want to pay the most expensive resource for that familiarity or you want to pay PR? You know, I, I really, mm. I, I, I try to sort of deal with that. We must be in an electrical storm because my light keeps going up and down right now. So I apologize if you're seeing it flash. No, but you look fine. You look fine. You know, we often say, you know, no, no one buys a product from a company they've never heard of. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and it's interesting. I, I was on TikTok the other day and I saw a quote from, from Elon Musk, or it was maybe an audiogram or something. And he, and he's certainly the world's richest man, right? And, and he's infinitely smarter than I am. But he said something I thought was really funny, and I think is, uh, is wrong. And it was that, you know, he said, I, I've never spent a dollar marketing any of the companies I've ever had, right? So, you know, Tesla and SpaceX. And I said to myself, he said, you know, marketing, you know, advertising, we've never spent any money on that. It's kind of a waste, right? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you haven't spent any money on advertising, but the amount of editorial coverage that you've generated is worth in the billions of dollars. In the billions. Right. So, so he's gotten great PR and PR is considered free. It's not free because it is an art form and a science to getting companies placed in trade media and creating a thought leadership position. It is a lot of hard work, but it's viewed as like free, like voila, you know, Tesla's never spent any money on advertising. Well, I'm sure they have a huge marketing team, probably in the hundreds. And, uh, and yes, they may not have bought an ad in, in uh, on CNN or something, but they get a ton of publicity that is far worth more than, than uh, a percentage of their revenues that generally, but you know, if, um, you know, the, the other reflection says we built a pipeline then over the last two years, it really stood up mark, mark, a sales operation, I should say. Okay. Without a doubt, sales is the hardest job. Oh. I've ever, it is by far. <laughs> like, you know, and so salespeople think the marketing people are having all the fun. You no, know, no, no. Marketing is marketing is an insatiable beast that's what i call it i'm like when i have to cover marketing as a cro it's like the marketing team is there and it's like i'm just like oh my gosh it's so much work <laughs> it's, uh, it's a process you know everything's disposable now right so you you post uh you know something witty and interesting in linkedin and four hours later it's never to be seen again so exactly you know and and then it all starts over again it, it is an insatiable monster and it keeps you, know, you have to feed it and so it and I think that's what I spoke to earlier is people kind of give up and they try something and then they they say well it didn't work and you hear that about LinkedIn too I mean in terms of writing organic content you know self to perpetuate your personal brand on LinkedIn and people kind of give up like they don't get traction and, and it's always the long game even with SEO search engine optimization it's a long game. There's no instant gratification to this. You have to be consistent and persistent over time. Think where people make mistakes and they don't know what they don't know is they get uh, they get uh, too diversified, right? And, and oh, we're a diversified yeah. marketing channel, multi-channel company, but 
you know, the thing is to rein it in and become really good at certain things. And it may only be PR, it may be a, a broader mix. And as you move from a sales oriented organization at an early stage, and then you start to say, okay, now we need marketing on top of that. Whereas, you know, you could go direct to a customer and sell directly without a lot of air support. And then you grow into a later stage company where you do need sophisticated marketing. Um, but sales is by far the hardest job I've ever, I mean, it is brutal. And uh, I have a lot as a marketer, I have a lot of appreciation now for living in that role and doing it day to day. It's, it's really hard. And, and so I think, you know, marketing needs to appreciate that. I think also sales probably doesn't have an appreciation for the science that is now part of marketing in terms of measurement and KPIs and things of that nature. Whereas everybody thinks it's a, you know, a pretty picture on a banner ad and things like that. Oh, gosh. See, that's the beautiful thing about being a CRO is you've seen all sides of that fence because we cover new product development, marketing, sales, service, you know, and quite often when you're dealing with stuff like that, you see it. it I, I wasn't kidding when I said it was the insatiable beast because you couldn't have you have to have that process in play in order to do that um, and in order to keep you at the top of the ranks, in order to keep you front and center. And it makes it honestly, when you were saying, you know, an early stage company, yeah, they all want to get an SDR and they all want to get a salesman, but their marketing would make PR and marketing would make the sales job infinitely easier, right? Yeah. Because yeah. there's not that many sales people out there that can, can be that one man show that it, I think it, uh, it's brutal. I think it was Mike Weinberg who said less than 20% or 15% can really do the end to end be cradle to graving type sales that we call the, the door to door kind of salesman where yeah. they get their own lead gen, they go all the way through the process. Nobody has time because you're yesterday's news to do that anymore. Right. And, 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 you know, one of the companies I'm working for right now, you know, they're trying to do mid-market and enterprise. And when you think about that, I know the perception is, hey, we're going to bootstrap. We're going to be able to throw this up. And all of a sudden, just like what we were inbound at first, all of a sudden, we're going to be able to move to enterprise. And that's a long haul sale. Right. I mean, it's like the two don't even go hand in hand. Right. And those dry pipelines, when you're talking about, um, you know, 30 days, 90 days later, you'll notice when that pipeline is dry. Right. <laughs> and so if you're not. And so sometimes with that job of trying to do when you were saying the KPIs and the metrics, because you've got to be able to track things other than revenue at the beginning to see if you are even off base, you know, right. for that. Yeah, so, I, mean, yeah. I mean, when you're dealing with finite resources and every marketing budget is finite, you have to make allocations. And the only way to make ed educated allocations is to be able to analyze and evaluate the investments that you're making. And the only way to do that is put measurements in place. And, you know, one of the other misperceptions I think is that marketing is not measurable. I deal with this all the time with CFOs and, like, and they view marketing as a cost center instead of an investment, which exactly. is also that is frustrating. But, and I think it's just because of the world that they've grown up, right? They've started as a controller, or maybe they started an AR and AP, and then they went to a controller. And then, so they don't have the world of, of the, the pressure and, and the, the growth mentality. You know, they have a cost mentality. So, 
but the way that I liken to say, I mean, the analogy I usually use is that, you know, sales are the folks, you know, think about the Battle of Normandy storming the beaches, you know, you've got the sales team hitting the beaches with, you know, with a uh, modest amount of firepower and, you know, climbing the sand and hitting the bunkers. And without the air cover of the B-2 bombers or whatever it might be, uh, pounding those positions and softening um, their customers or their prospects with, with, with proper marketing, um, it's really hard. I mean, you're really on an island. So those two things have to work well together. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're in a situation now where B2B marketing has evolved significantly where you can support sales in a very structured, um, cost-effective manner, because most of the, the platforms that have been built are for consumer advertising, you know, TikTok, um, you know, link with the exception of LinkedIn, of course, Twitter, um, Google Display, Facebook, all of these things were built. So the measurements and the ability to target and filter are not as good for a B2B audience, right? Targeting a purchaser. And as you said, you know, if you're selling into a hospital system and you have, you have eight to 12 people that are part of that decision-making process. So how do you reach all of them other than cold calling them or going to a trade show you know, where they discover you somehow? Um, so how do you employ these tactics? And B2B marketing has evolved significantly such that you can, you can do account-based marketing, which means you're targeting an individual company. You know, you can target IBM's headquarters if you're selling a solution to IBM or to another type of company. You can also use contact targeting, which is the ability to target individuals. Those individual, those 12 decision makers at the hospital, you can target them and you do a combination of sales outreach with LinkedIn outreach and air cover, which is sort of digital ads that are targeted to those individuals. So it's come a long way and sales has evolved a lot too. There's so many different tools now to help facilitate, um, whether it be contact data or cold outreach automation tools, CRMs, uh, but all of it is measurable. And I think that's one thing that I think people um, don't understand. You know, it's evolved so much. It's no longer an art. It's a, really more of a science now, right? Than it ever yeah. has been. Yeah, it's interesting that you you sort of say that because everything is measurable. When I am teaching um, goal play, goal, I call them goal playbooks every year where they have to forecast their upcoming year and you get a salesman who goes, well, how can I measure the intangibles? And I'm like, you can measure, you'd be shocked. You can measure an outcome. You can measure a, you know, and um, so I'm very big into, you know, uh, four disciplines of execution, Sean Covey, you know, four X to Y by when kind of framework. And it, it gets, it has, people have to get to thinking that way, you know, and I was laughing when you, you had Citibank on your, on your list, because I remember, you know, it, it was like a team of three salesmen with 10 Citibank guys around the room and you're pitching and, um, I have appreciated that we've moved into an, what we call an account-based marketing. I remember programming my first CRM. It was Microsoft Dynamics clear back when. And I'm going, but we're not selling to humans. We're selling to companies. <laughs> you know? And I was just like, how do you, you know, how do you bridge that? How do you bridge that gap? You know, and so a lot of the CRMs have come forward with a lot of good ways to tie with relationships and then you know, track those personas because the same is true. You can't always remember all those things. So there's some great tools out there to help you get there. But 
I love what you're saying with all of that. So I well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, but we're all human beings, right? So, and, and when we talk about targeting, you know, business to business prospects on these platforms, you know, they all go home and, and are sitting in front of a television, scrolling through Facebook and checking out Twitter during, <laughs> during lunch and all of this. So, you know, B2B buyers are, are human beings um, yeah. and they, and they buy on emotion too, um, just as a consumer would in terms of, you know, an impulse buy to buy a candy bar as you're sitting in the grocery line. But, um, but, you know, because the sales cycle is so long, generally, you know, it's a combination of being persistent and being omnipresent, right, through advertising and marketing. And, and then, of course, you have to really, really good sales team. But I think um, that's when your value proposition, your sort of support in terms of the customer journey and the nurturing that needs to happen through that process, part of its great contact, part of uh, content, part of its um, you know, whether it be testimonials or case studies or videos or what have you, to be able to stay in touch with that prospect and continue to touch them and nurture them. And of course, you need a great sales team to, to do that without bothering them, right? So it's a yeah. very careful, you know, delicate dance. The art of interrupting their day, <laughs> you know? And you, have to, yeah, you have to create a sense of urgency. You know, we, we had a call last week with a client and, and they're one of the leaders in their space, but they sell the hospital systems and the buying, the capital investment process is like, you know, it's 12 months plus and that, you know, they will only make a certain number of investments each year and, and they can only handle a certain number of initiatives each year that are technology related. So, so you have to, as a company, figure out how do you position, how do you create such a value, strong value proposition based on KPIs and proof points and so forth, such that you get that particular solution into their top three or four, right? And, and that's why marketing is so important. Um, that's why the, the, the content that you create and propagate is so important uh, and a variety of the tactics, you know, um, that are important to get you shortlisted. That's really the key. If you can't get shortlisted, you shortlisted. You're, you're finished. And if they don't know about you, you'll never be shortlisted. And that, that goes back to, you know, another client we had a conversation with today, you know, they, they are wondering why they aren't generating any inbound leads. And you look at their keyword position tracking using a tool like SEM rush and they're not on page one for any of the industry terms that are specific to their services. And, and you're on page three, you're not going to generate any inbound volume. So, no. you know, it's a, it's a combination of all these things working together to drive a particular outcome. So, you know, I think, I don't think people, you know, necessarily understand all of these things and how they sort of work together, but a lot of people do. I think it's just hard to sometimes assemble the resources to be able to do those things. I think it is getting a mindset of assembling the resources because a buck is too much if we don't have it, but we, I, I use this analogy all the time, but we are all in debt to our homes in the United States and we pay three times the price in mortgages, right? So how do we make it digestible? But what I like about what you've been saying just now too is and what I feel is so hard in the marketing realm, and it's always sort of plagued me, is people buy from people they trust and mm -hmm. people buy for their reasons, which you'll hear that on my podcast all the time, which I can't coin that one. It was a uh, one of my mentors used to say always 
get a sales team and he'd say, why do people buy? And they'd all come up with these reasons. And he's like, their reasons. That's the only reason they buy, right? So it's very... It's very simple, but as you look at that, that is talking about so many different personalities, so many different personas, because we know Simon Sinek, they buy on emotion, whether we like it or not. I've worked with engineers. I've worked with all things. You can give them to the facts, come home. Eventually, what pushes them over the edge is the emotion, period. And so for marketers, you guys have such a difficult job because a salesman can read a room and assess it and say, if they're good and realize this person's the blogger, this person is the one who wants to talk about the big truck. I've been in construction. So, you know, this one wants to talk about healthcare. This one wants to talk about those things. And we're not talking about being fake or anything, but it is trying to tap into things that connect that human connection that then says, yes, we can build a bond that then says, we trust each other enough to transact because I trust my mom. So I transact with her all the time. Right. And that's the job. You can't walk into a room as a marketer. You have to use data and buying behaviors and their journey and that kind of thing. And then some maybe input from reps who have talked to people to then survey, to then figure out what they really want. That's what I think is the hardest part. You know, I can talk. I can figure that one out, but you can't in the normal channels. No, and that's true. I think that's one of the reasons why I say persistence and consistency. Part of it's timing, right? You you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know <laughs> whether a particular hospital system is looking at a particular type of EMR solution. You know, those are things that you don't know. So it's really important to have breadth and scale, you know, to your marketing and sales. Sometimes it's good fortune, but you know, everyone's sitting around that table. The CIO has a different perspective. He's thinking about, well, I don't have any resources or personnel to take on this initiative. So, so yeah. how do you deal with that? Well, you talk about the, the integration and the onboarding process and the, the lack of disruption to their other initiatives and the IT ecosystem. The CFO is interested in what he's interested in, right? Yeah. Uh, reducing costs and increasing top line. And so how does that solution uh, relevant to their needs? And, and then you've got the champion typically like that one single person within the organization that's really pushing it. You know, the goal is to make all of them a hero, you know, because it's what's in it for me. You know, how do I, how does this make me look better? You know, we even, you know, tell companies that, uh, at, at CoStar, we created this thing called Power Brokers, right? Which which highlighted those that were excellent in their job. So we created awards that would help create recognition for them. Part of it was to generate customer testimonials, you know, because most companies are restrictive relative to their ability to communicate um, about a particular product or it's seen as an endorsement. So it's like, how do you get around sort of corporate communications to get a testimonial? And so um, there's all kinds of different ways, but you know, you, you have to be able to elicit the, the champion and their perspective such that you can con- continue to sell into other champions. But it's always what's about me. And, and um, if you can't hone in like a laser on each one of those folks sitting around the table and what it is that they're going to motivate them to reach a consensus, then you're in real trouble. That's really important. And each one has a different language and different motivation. And so that's part of your you know, what we would develop is a, you know, a, a, a sales platform or a toolkit or, 
We mm-hmm. call it a battle card, which is sort of a, a yeah. messaging document that we give to our salespeople to represent that content or the solution to that particular audience. Because oftentimes, if they don't have that guidance uh, from marketing, they'll create it on their own, and they'll create. Sometimes they'll create their own collateral if marketing isn't supportive of of their efforts. But mm-hmm. uh, and that's why it's important for marketing and sales to always communicate with each other and and sure. live in each other's shoes, you know, for a day. And that really, I'd be shocked. How little that actually happens. Oh yeah, no, it it definitely. At one company, I I started basically a shout out because they were so divided. You know, every week, shout. You need to pick somebody to shout out, right? So that you understand what's going on in there. In other words, start observing what's going on in the in that world. But so, Lou, this has been so exciting. Um, I understand that you have a few things like you graduate, you were, you started in California, you ended up in Florida and I'm a Californian, although the Idahoans that I live with right now would totally object. But um, so tell me a little bit about you. People want to know about you. Uh, What do you like? Uh, You went to the University of California. You also graduated from Alabama. I understand you are quite the sports fan. <laughs> I am a huge football fan. I love Alabama football. I've been very fortunate. It's easy to love um, Alabama football because we've been really good for the last few years. But um, yeah, I grew up, uh, I've grown up, actually I've been all over the place. My dad was uh, was a salesperson and marketing person and, and we had the op- opportunity to move. I lived in Houston and Birmingham and uh, Cleveland and California, but I really grew up my formative years in San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. I, I started college at University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and then I ended up transferring. Most of my family's from the South, and uh, ended up transferring and finishing at the University of Alabama, and uh, and then have moved around for a variety of different of the companies that I mentioned at the outset, of course. And then 2006, we relocated to Florida. And then we've just relocated moving mines about two years ago to West Palm Beach. So, you know, in terms of the things I enjoy, uh, I enjoy working, actually, I love what we do. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds kind of crazy. But, um, you know, we do boating and all the kind of fun stuff that you might expect in Florida, but we're, I'm always committed to learning. I love, you know, there's not anything in this particular field that isn't new every single day. And so, it's really hard to get atrophied if you're interested in the subject matter. I wish I was more interested in corporate finance and investment banking, but I chose marketing instead. So, but I love what we do. I love what we do for our clients. We get a lot of gratification from seeing them as you probably do, Valerie, uh, seeing them grow and uh, having them listen to you and apply the, the recommendations that you can provide to them and then execute it and see, uh, see an end result, which is, you know, is very exciting. So we, we love to learn and we continue to do that. And, and again, try to apply those things for the benefit of our clients constantly. Yeah. Yeah. What is like, if you had to pick a book, what book would be the one that you would tell the audience to listen to next? Or you know, it's so read. funny you asked that. I <laughs> am going to, I'm going to show you the book. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go off camera to do that. And yeah, don't come back in a costume. <laughs> no, no. I'll you know, put on my Trump hat and pretend I'm Donald Trump. Now, this is a, a great book and I just started reading it. It's you got to hold it still because your background is blurring it. Oh, oh well, no, nope. go. Nope. Nope. 
I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Okay. Can you, can you read that? All right, there yeah. we go. So it's a book that's written by uh, Donald or Donald Miller. It's called Building a Story Brand. And okay. uh, even for a marketer, you can get caught up in conflict, complex representations of clients, products and services, and you can overthink things. No, you know, I, don't, I don't think I've ever met a client that was happy with their messaging. And I started reading this book about three weeks ago, and it is, is fantastic. So anybody that's struggling with messaging and how to go to market and telling a story, it's a fabulous book. It really is a great book. And it's not a particularly long book. So it's an easy summer read by the pool, um, but it's well worth it. It's just about simplifying your message, creating a narrative that's compelling and interesting, thinking about your company like a you know, the script and the arc of a movie, right? With a, yeah. with a you know, to pull them in and, and create. And it has a lot to do with, you know, articulating a, a pain point and the resolution of that point, pain point, you know, using a particular solution that you happen to, to represent. So that's a great book. I, I highly recommend that. I wrote so it hold, down. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to write that one down. I have, it's I really listen. good. And it's, you know, it's super easy read too. Oh, cool. No, that's awesome. Well, this has been super, super fun. I have enjoyed this episode so thoroughly, Lou. Um, so where can the listeners reach out to you? Sure. Well, we're based in West Palm, but we're on the uh, worldwide web at movingminds.io. <laughs> so it's M-O-V-I-N-G-M-I-N-D-S.io. And certainly we're on LinkedIn. I'm personally on LinkedIn, of course. So you're welcome to reach out to me individually and but visit our website and we've got obviously a toll-free number. You can call us if you have any questions, but we're more than happy to help any of the, the listeners that you have. And Valerie, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to share with you our experiences and, and hear your own as well. Oh, yeah, no, it's been great. Well, everybody, this has been another wonderful episode of The Revenue Maze. Super excited. Thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Lou, for being on our show. No, I'm glad to do it. Thank you for the invitation again. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. And never forget, you are why 